Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we share wisdom and practical tips to help you grow stronger in all areas of your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who offer real-world experiences that you can apply to your own journey. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am committed to bringing to you guests who will both inspire and challenge you. And if you enjoy my podcast, I would love for you to review and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. My podcast is brought to you by GrowStrongLeaders.com. We publish software tools and books for improving the way people improve their communication skills with each other at work. Today, I'm very excited to have with me as my guest, Anne Shebani. Anne, welcome to my show. Thank you. And thank you for sharing me with your audience. Thank you for sharing your platform for me with me. So I'm really I'm excited to be here and to talk to you. I am very excited to have our conversation get underway. First, let me introduce you, though, to my listeners so they'll see why I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. Anne is the founder of Summit Press Publishers and also the influential author. And she is a very experienced writer herself. She is the author of How to Eat the Elephant, Build Your Book in Bite-Size Steps. Now, Anne has a really wonderful qualification. She received a master's degree in creative writing and literature from Harvard University, and she is a Book Yourself Solid Certified Coach. And what she loves doing, and she's so good at, is helping speakers, coaches, and entrepreneurs write and publish books. But not just publish books. She wants to help them write books that attract their ideal clients and make them stand out from others. And what's interesting also about Anne is that she and her husband, Walt Hampton, live in rural Ireland. And I just think that's fascinating because you're both Americans who've chosen to live in Ireland. And Walt is actually a former guest of my podcast. And Anne and Walt together run Summit Success, which is a global business and personal development consultancy. And I know from talking with some of their clients with that business, they are so committed and dedicated to making a real difference in the lives of those individuals. So, Anne, there's so many things that we can talk about today. We can go on and on and on about business and about messaging and about when's the right time to write a book, about how to stand out, how to stand out in the right way, as opposed to how to stand out in the wrong way, which is something that you and I were talking about just a moment before we started. And what I want to do first, before we get into some of those great topics, is have you tell my audience a little bit more about your journey to doing the work you do today with aspiring authors? So, yeah, it's a long journey. So let me, let me start with a brief story. I, I lived in Iran, not Ireland. I live in Ireland right now with Walt. But when I was in my 20s, my mid-20s to early 30s, I lived in Iran. 
And I was married to an Iranian, a very good Iranian man. And in order for me to, to live in a country that was very challenging to most Westerners, to live with somebody who had a very different value system, I kind of pretended to be somebody that I wasn't. Like <clears throat> I could read a room or I could read my audience and I knew what was acceptable. I knew what people wanted from me, <clears throat> pardon me. So in many ways, I was not, <clears throat> pardon me, true to myself. I misrepresented who I was. I was, I kind of went along to get along. And when you are not upfront about who you are, what it is you believe, what it is, what your value system is, you end up, yeah, that misrepresentation is a bad thing because People don't know how to treat you because you've told them a different, you've given them a different user's manual. And when you pretend to be somebody that you're not, eventually you come back to being the person that you actually are. And that bridge is no longer something you can gap. That bridge between who you really are and who you pretend to be becomes really difficult to get beyond. It, it's very damaging. So when I got out of Iran or when I came out of Iran and I started writing, I, there were a few years in between be, before I went off to, to grad school to learn to write. Writing, to write well means you have to tell the truth. And I began to find out what my truth actually is. I began to think about what is it that I really believe? What is it that I really feel? Who am I really? separate and apart from who, who you want me to be. I'm great at being who you want me to be, but who am I really and how do I get that on the page? And when I began to tell the truth, I, I felt like something happened within myself. Like I started to own myself who I was. I stopped apologizing for things that I thought were gonna be unpopular. I stopped trying to please everybody and I'm a, I'm a recovering people pleaser. And I began to go, yeah, this is who I am and this is how I behave and this is what you can expect from me. And when I began writing stories about who I really am, I began to attract people to me totally by accident. So I suddenly started attracting women to me who said, hey, you seem to own yourself. You seem to understand this stuff. Can you help me? And I had no desire to become a coach. I'm like, you know, like you can help me. I'll, I'll have a cup of coffee. We'll talk. And bit by bit, women wanted to know, how do you do what you do? And I'm like, wow, I mean, what am I doing? Well, how do you tell the truth the way you do? How do you, how do you, how do you tell the truth and have people still like you? And I started helping them in many ways. And in many ways, writing was a vehicle for number one, figuring out what you really think and feel and what you believe, expressing it to other people and then standing by it, owning it and, and attracting people to you who you are meant to attract and quite possibly repelling those people who are not going to enjoy being with you, who aren't going to meld with you. And we want to repel them because there's nothing worse than trying to serve people who don't get you or vice versa. It's like, it's a, it's a no win game. 
But when people know who you are and they, and they appreciate who you are and, and want to be that or want to feel that way themselves, that's good business. That, like, that builds your business even when you don't intend to build a business. That comes to you. So telling the truth on the page, telling your stories, owning the, your stories, and then attracting people to you because of that, I built a business around that. I built book coaching and book publishing around that one core concept, that one core foundation. Mm-hmm. And you know, what's fun <clears throat> is I was listening to you describe your journey there. I was thinking in two tracks, one, your own personal ownership of who you are and, and who you like to be. And I, I know those of you that don't follow Anne or aren't connected with Anne on, on um, LinkedIn or Facebook, I guess. I don't know all the different media channels you're on, but I know those too. Some of the really funny things you write, you've got such a great sense of humor and some of the comical, or I should say affectionate names that you use with people like Cupcake. <clears throat> Some individuals take offense at that. And so in a way, the approach you take to being yourself does exactly what you say. It really pushes away the folks that don't relate to you and you wouldn't enjoy working with. And I think too often we're concerned about offending others and, you know, turning off someone or pushing someone away. And I'm guessing some of the folks you work with in their books have that desire. They want to appeal to everyone and um, <clears throat> don't want to turn off anyone else. Or they're, they're kind of global in their purpose with their book. Well, it can serve everyone. So how do you help them kind of zero in on who they really are and who their ideal audience is. Cause I think that's such an important thing. We, we just don't often take time enough to examine. I, I love that question. And you are right. There are plenty of people who, who want to say, Hey, I help people. And there are other people who are, who, who get very bold and are gratuitous in some of the stories that they tell. So I'm going to, I'm going to answer both of those issues with, with one clear idea. When we are writing a book, we have to have a very specific audience in mind. It can't be, I help people. It's the same way that when you're marketing in your business, if you're a coach, you can't say, I want to help everyone. Because if you say, I want to help everyone, no one recognizes themselves in that. So the challenge of us people who want to help everybody is narrowing the everybody down. So it's really common. The next step that a lot of us coaches go through is I'm going to help women in transition, or I'm going to help the corporate woman. And, you know, like we'll narrow it down a little bit more. And that's a good start because if you're telling stories, let's say I help corporate women. If you were telling stories to I help corporate women, there are certain stories that are not going to be relevant to a corporate woman, first and foremost. But beyond who is our audience, we also have to be very clear on what is the problem we help that audience, that target audience solve. Because we might help 
we can help, you know, like I can help you with your profit. I can help you with your marketing. I can help you with your storytelling. Like we can maybe help them with all of these things. But if you're helping them with too many things and you're not choosing one outcome that you can help people with, with in a book, then it's the book gets too big, the scope gets blown out, and it's difficult <clears throat> to tell stories to get your target audience member from this is the problem you are having right now. These are the steps that you are going to take to fix your problem. And this is what it feels like and looks like to get the big result you're after. So a book is structured to talk to that one person and take them from what I call pain island. They're experiencing difficulty and they're searching for a solution to this very particular difficulty. And you're going to take them through your formula or your framework to get them this result that they're really, really hungry for. So let's say you help, um, you help corporate women uh, get promoted. When you are telling your stories, and, and in, a, in a, the kind of book that, that really draws people in, much of the stories are about who you are as an author, why you are somebody who knows how to help this corporate woman get this particular result. So you're usually telling them some expert positioning story. Nine times out of 10, it's not all the time, you probably experience the problem yourself and you fix the problem for yourself and then you begin helping other people get that same result. So if you're suddenly telling an expert story about how you got fired one day in your first job, it might not be relevant to this person who wants to get a promotion. Maybe it's relevant, maybe it's not. But the stories that you're gonna tell have to have this audience member in mind. And the more personal you can be, the more you can express through stories, your own story, and the stories of your successful clients, the more you can personalize this message and put a face to it, the more people feel it, the more they're, con they're connected. All of the information you're gonna give them that's vital, that's really gold, is gonna stick because you've attached it to story. In particular, you've attached it to you as a human being, who you are, as a person, like you're not the crazy girl who in the 70s joined a, you know, joined a commune. You're a corporate woman who understands the rules of corporate culture, who understands what it is, all the balance that you need to have. And your stories are going to be perfect for your audience. So where people will get into trouble is they'll hear, oh, I have to share my stories to be really, really personal, to draw people in. And they'll sometimes go too far the other side. They'll start, they'll start telling stories about bad experiences they had that really aren't tied to the big result. But they, like I'm telling a story, I'm revealing who I am, I'm sharing a personal thing with you so you know me. But it's like a lawyer suddenly telling a story of how he, he was grieved and almost law, lost his law license. 
your reader would be like, why am I going to listen to the guy? The guy almost lost his law license. I like wrong story to tell because your audience needs you to be open and human, but not that vulnerable because that takes away from your credibility. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Let me ask you a question about that. And cause that's an important distinction you're making there being open, but appropriate. Because um, there can be times that it's not appropriate. And one of the things that in reading materials, you know, you've written, the thing that I've seen with you that you often have to help coach your clients about is kind of coaxing out of them stories that you feel will be the real hook, but that they tend to either minimize or think is not appropriate. So I want to go on that avenue for a moment, because it seems like you often find there are times when your clients don't want to tell a story, they're afraid of it making them look bad, or um, maybe being vulnerable, or just thinking it's not that important. But you recognize this is a very key aspect of your story. How do you help them bring that out? So firstly, I'll I'll often go to, to Walt. So Walt, who's my husband, he's a former criminal defense attorney. And when you are an attorney, people are hiring you to be a killer dog. You know, they, they are hiring you to advocate for them. So they're, you know, they're, they're used to looking for somebody who is very strong, very centered, very secure, you know, doesn't care about what other people think. You want somebody like that. So in that training, in a lawyer's training in particular, and I think it's very similar to corporate world, um, you're used to looking impenetrable. You're used to look like you can bank on me. I got all the answers. And in law, that serves you very well. But in the coaching world or the speaking world, if you are presenting yourself as somebody who has always had the answers, from day one, you risk your audience members not feeling connected to you. They're they're, they're likely to dismiss any of your advice because what they're thinking is, ah, dude, he's had his act together from day one. He doesn't get what what it is to have like hardships or what it is to not have this thing right. So when Walt began speaking, he would start you know, he'd, he'd have a really powerful message, but every time he would talk, it would be about, hey, I climbed tall mountains and we were on Denali and I sailed blue waters. And he sounds like this amazing guy who can say no to anybody and do anything. And you should go out there and you should do the same thing and conquer the world and live a life that matters. And so he would come to me and he said, well, how was the, how was my talk? And I would say, you lost people because they don't know how you had to get home at two o'clock to get your kids off the bus and feed them lunch and then figure out how you're going to serve your clients and get your work done. They didn't know that you understand struggle, that you understand there's a lot to balance, that you have to figure out how to balance this, that you're, you know, some of your secretaries taking a call because your kid is drowning a duck in the bathtub. And it's all like, if you tell stories that demonstrate 
that you get how hard it is, that you, you have an appreciation for all the forces at play. Like you're asking people to make a change and change requires an effort. And change means you've got to switch something up in your busy, crazy life. And if the person reading this or hearing you thinks, well, it's easy for him. And they don't understand that in this process, you were battling demons and you you had your own struggles and you had your own questions about whether you could do it. They're not likely to see you as a resource. They might see you as a blowhard. They might see you as unidimensional or a robot or like your training just makes you carry forth regardless of what's around you. So we want to express that we understand struggle. If we are solving a problem we personally have never had, we want to demonstrate through our clients' stories, their struggle. Because if we can demonstrate these are people who struggle, this is how they struggled, and we can speak about it as if it were our own struggle, then people will listen. They'll be like, yeah, they get it. Mm-hmm. They that it's not that easy. It's not, it's not a cakewalk, this change. Yeah. Yeah, what you're really getting at to me, a key word is relatable. Yes. That that somebody can <clears throat> can recognize that you've been in their shoes. And you really understand, even if you haven't had the exact same experience, there is um, a connection there that they feel for you. Because really, what I, even though you haven't said the word, I don't think that um, it's making that emotional connection with the audience. So they see you as a real human being. And another element of that is being willing to be vulnerable. And I'm guessing that one of the things you have to, and I just love your approach with clients too, your truth teller, you know, you don't mince words with them. You let them know, here's what you're doing that you need to change. When you see them trying to portray themselves as having it all together, Mm -hmm. how do you penetrate that to get them to I guess, see, or sort of raising their awareness level that, yes, I have struggled. I just minimized it because I want them to see the end result as opposed to the path I had to go on to get there. Yeah. I like, that's a really great question. And so, so I, I'll, I'll start by saying it's a bit of a process because if somebody, you know, if somebody sends me a chapter, so somebody's like completing a chapter, they're, they're going to write a chapter about, um, you know, some such thing in their, in their process. And if I don't feel that there's a person on the page, and what I mean is if there's no face, if it's, you know, if it's a lot of information, it's you're going to do this step and then this step and then this step. If there's no story to attach to, then after four pages and my eyes roll to the back of my head because I'm human. It's like, I, I need to be grounded in, in a story. So usually I'm like, let's, let's attach it to a story or let's find a story the same way we would in a speech, right? If you give a speech, you've got points that you want to make, but you also have stories. Sometimes you have the point 
And then you've got to find the story. And sometimes you have the story and then you have to find the point. And there, there can be many points. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's looking at this information and then saying, well, what's difficult about this? Why is, what is, what is the way people are thinking right now? And you're asking them to do this instead. Well, what do they believe they should be doing right now? And then they're going to change. So then I'll go, well, what were you thinking at this time when, before you took this step, before you made this change in your life, what were you thinking? What were you experiencing? What, what was the belief for, what are the scales that had to fall from your eyes? And so they'll say, oh, you know, I was like, you know, this is my third year that I was in, you know, corporate and there was a manager and the manager wasn't really giving me much information. And then I'm like, okay, let's talk about the manager. What did you believe the manager should be doing? And then they'll start talking about this manager and they'll start, you know, like this manager was like doing everything wrong, not everything, but so we start to tease out who else was there. What kind of things did they say to you? What did you say to them? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? Were you going home every Friday night and just like drinking all weekend because it was so stressful? Were you like, you know, what else, how else was this playing out in your life? So we start to go like, who else was there? Tell me that moment in time that really represents this change. Maybe it's a composite, like maybe it's not one moment, but a few moments. Tell me about it. Tell me about that person that was like your arch nemesis or who was gunning for your job? Who got the job instead of you? Then say, tell me all of the crazy things you were saying in your head. This person got the job? Oh, hell no. I should have gotten the job because this, this, this. She got the job because lay out the craziness even though you're making it up, it's the craziness. Tell us the craziness. So it keeps the story relevant. It keeps this human because we all think crazy things. It may not come out of our mouths, but when, when we're analyzing a situation and we're making that transition to a new belief, our old beliefs have all of these rules and we think awful things. We think awful things about other people. What, what were you thinking? That's a revelation. That's vulnerability admitting that, you're, that you were like, oh, she was probably well-deserving and she got that promotion. No, you weren't thinking that. You were not thinking she was well-deserving. You were like laying it on thick at, to protect yourself. So... Sharing what goes on in your head can be the vulnerable thing. You don't have to share your dirt. But letting people in on your head and your thought process, that's kind of daring. Yes, and it's a kind of a delicate balance, isn't it? To recognize, you know, what's appropriate, what's not. Um, I, I just love everything you've said, because there's so many applications for it in our lives, not just as a writing of a book or giving of a speech, but so often just in our conversations with other people, thoughts that we have, or ways that we might hold back just being our true selves. 
And I remember an earlier conversation we had, Anne, where you were telling me about this gal, and I think it'd be a wonderful story to kind of illustrate the points you've been making. The gal who um, wrote the book on autism, Mm -hmm. and it was um, published by Hay House, but there was a story she had, there was a hook that you said that she had totally overlooked, and it ended up being the thing that helped her sell the book to Hay House, right? Yes, I'll tell you the story. So um, Mary Barbera is the name of the author. And um, I can't remember the full title, but it's something to do with autism. It's very easy to find, you know, you Google autism and her name pops up. So Mary is highly credentialed. She's got a PhD. She's a former nurse. She was a nurse manager. So her credentials are impressive. And she spoke for years and years about autism and has programs on autism. And she could easily have presented a textbook. This is, so she wrote a book about identifying autism fairly early on in toddler years. You know, like spotting autism at 18 months, two years, because typically what happens with a parent is they, they're afraid of something. They see some tell and then they want an expert to evaluate their child. But the waiting list for specialists is something like a year. And within that year, you can, you can basically lose your ability to reverse some of these signs of autism or even reverse autism itself. It's a, it's a, very, it's a very polarizing idea. And it's a very exciting idea that you can, if you catch autism early enough, that you can reverse it. A lot of people disagree. But so Mary had a story. Mary got into this field because when her son Lucas was about two years old, she spotted like a really delayed development. He was, you know, he wasn't speaking. He was throwing tantrums. He wasn't, she couldn't toilet training, train him. And she, you know, she was a nurse. Her husband's a doctor. And she was like telling her husband, look, I'm a little nervous about Lucas. And her husband said, I don't know, he could have autism, we should get him checked. And human beings being what human beings are, we don't want to hear that kind of news. And she got really upset with her husband. She's like, look, you know, don't drop autism, don't overblow this up, don't, you know, make it bigger than it is. And because she was so afraid of the possibility, she didn't go and get it checked. And by the time she finally got the kid to the doctor, he had, he, he had full-blown autism. And any way that she could have brought some of those symptoms back or reversed some of it was gone. So she had a lot of guilt. Had she known, had she acted, had she gone beyond, you know, beyond her own motherly fear, she probably could have saved her kid. So she told me the story, uh, you know, she's written another kind of a textbook thing for practitioners. And she had told me this story. And when she came to me, we were working on a book proposal. She had sent a draft over and nowhere was this story. And I'm like, Mary, where's the story about Lucas? Oh, you know, like she'd said, yeah, she just had two lines about she had a kid. I'm like, Mary, that's the story. It's, It's the story that brings people in like, oh, she missed 
the chance to save her kid. I, this is my opportunity to save my kid, to catch it, to, to read this and not like, and to study it and to use this and get the doctor's appointment. Yes. But in the meantime, to use this, like Mary's tragic story that she's got a lot of shame and guilt around. And, you know, she's a pretty cool chick. She's not walking around going, I'm so guilty, but like, it's a story that reveals that she wasn't on top of it back then. Mm -hmm. She didn't have it all together back then. And because she was late to the party, her kid's never going to be okay. And when that story landed on the book proposal, when they read that, they're like, oh, we can hardly wait to have this book because there's emotion. And she, like, she's like, this is how you do it. This is the story of this kid and how his family used this. And this is how we fix the toilet training. So she's got lots of story. And then she'll tell you how it's done, how to do it, do this, 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 this. But this is a book that you read and you feel, and you feel the, oh my God, I gotta do this. I have to do this. And that's powerful. Mm -hmm. yeah. Such a, that is powerful. I was getting chills as I was listening to describe that. Um, the emotion, again, the journey that um, she almost omitted or try, you know, minimized. Um, that's just really profound. And I think that, you know, to me, a huge takeaway from our conversation is this idea of how can I connect in a powerful way with another human being? You know, whether it's a conversation, whether it's through my writing and you, Anne, are such a powerful writer. You just have such a way with words. It's a, it's a talent and a skill that you have honed over the years where you just, you know, whether you're talking about your relationship with Walt and, or, or something personal, you just, your writing is worth studying. And I want to encourage my listeners to, um, to read yours as an example of really what you're talking about here today, drawing people in um, and making yourself just relatable. That word just keeps popping up because I think that's so I, people can identify with your pain, you know, because you're willing to uh, reveal your humanness. We all have mistakes we've made. Um, I just think it's a very powerful thing for us to think about how can I be more real with others so I can connect with them more easily. Yeah, and I would like I I love speaking about corporate culture. Like I I was a chemical salesperson way back when before you know I went to writing school. And I I remember what it was to navigate corporate to you know you have to mind yourself in the corporate world. Not unlike a lawyer, there's there's a you know there's a certain there's a certain presentation that is required of you because it's a leadership, it's a hierarchy, you know, you have to maintain decorum. And I think like, I, 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 I love 
the using the metaphor of buttoned up because in the corporate world, we're pretty buttoned up. And it, like, I think in particular to be a female in the corporate world and, and mixing with the big boys, like to manage that, to be a powerful woman and be seen as an equal, they were, they were kind of required us to button up to some extent, at least in the 80s. And, and I'm revealing my age, I'm 58. But sometimes it's as, instead of like, you don't have to open your shirt down to your navel as a corporate person. Sometimes it's as little as unbuttoning that top button and opening your collar a little bit and, and breathing a little bit. And, you know, it's like, oof. I, you know, I think, um, God, who's, who's uh, Facebook? Who's the woman in Facebook that um, works with Mark Zuckerberg? Sheryl Sandberg. I think Sheryl Sandberg does the, reveals her personality, reveals her challenges, reveals how she thinks. And she goes back to her childhood. She goes back to her brother and she getting A's on the test and the brother go, yeah, of course I got an A, of course I'm like smart. And she'd say, oh, I had so much help and everybody helped me and I got the A because all these people helped me. So she would use stories from her childhood to talk about the difference between how she and her brother responded to something. And you kind of got a feel for who she is. You got, she really drove home the point, but she only unbuttoned that top button. She was, you know, just describing the difference between how, you know, she was a student and how her brother was a student, how the, you know, the slight differences and, and the mindset differences. So you feel her, oh, she grew up and she had a brother and mm-hmm. so a person, but never once does she rip her shirt open and, and, you know, talk about, yeah, it's the crazy stuff. Like I get to do some crazier stuff because I'm not in corporate because as a writer, I can be more creative. I can reveal stuff, but sometimes I make a mistake and go reveal too much and it's not really relevant. And sometimes it's like, eh, I don't reveal enough, but it's, you're always playing. And when you hit it, you know it because people respond. Mm-hmm. You get to make mistakes. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that's a great point to, um, to end on because sometimes you have to go a little bit one extreme or the other just to see what really does resonate with the person or persons you want to connect with. I love your metaphor there with uh, buttoned up and then throwing the shirt off. And there's degrees in between there that don't require us to, to reveal to such an extent that um, it, that people won't relate and they'll kind of go, Ooh, (laughs) that's not the response you want either. It's, it's kind of reaching that, um, that nice balance of, of appropriate, but not something worse. I think part of that, Anne, uh, is this thing of coming across as needy, you know, and like, oh, or, or hurting, as opposed to just saying, here's a lesson learned or an insight I gained. Do you see the distinction I'm making there? Yeah, I would also say it's like, I think there's an evolution. I know even with myself, I, uh, I'll look at some writing that I did like 10 years ago. 
and I and I, I love the statement that if you're not reading the stuff 10 years ago and being completely embarrassed, it means you haven't grown. So I'm, I'm very excited that I've grown. So I look back and some of the stuff I'm like, oh, yeah, mm, I, I, I don't need to do that anymore. So I think sometimes, you know, I have a client right now who, who sent me a document and I'm like looking at a story he told. And I said, no, we're pulling this. It's, it's gratuitous. And he was like, no, oh, I got very excited because I'm, I'm being very bold. I'm getting, you know, more adventurous and bolder. And I'm like, yeah, good on you. But you went too far. Let's just bring it back. And here's why. So shock value. Yeah, you don't want to go to shock value. We don't need to. But the idea is how do you show that you're human and that you don't always think positive thoughts and you're not always ready to go all the time. When are you tired? And when are you judgmental? And when you're judgmental, what does it sound like? Mm. That makes you human and that makes you relatable. And that's, that's a good place to even answer one question, just put one thing in there that, that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Great, great point. Thank you. And you are such a delight. I've so enjoyed this conversation. And I would love for you to share with my listeners, some of whom may be contemplating writing a book, some may be working on one, and what a fabulous coach you you can be. You're such a gift to people who are writing. So let my audience know, where can they connect with you, learn more about the services that you offer? So the easiest place to go is Anne uh, or AnnShabani.com. That's my website. People can reach out to me at Anne at AnnShabani.com. And, you know, you can reach me a hundred ways, but you start there. There's forms to fill out. Just send me an email. Send me an email. Let me know what you need. And if I can't provide it, maybe I know someone who can. And I will spell out your name since many of my listeners only listen and they don't go to our show notes page where we'll have your website, but it's A-N-N-S-H-E-Y-B-A-N-I. Sorry. So, and thank you so much for being with me today. I value you, the work you're doing, and just the delightful way you show up in the world. Thank you. Thank you. And I enjoyed it as well. We will talk. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now, head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect with Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.